no rate cut from the Fed in March, another problem in the regional banking sector, and what all of this instability in the financial system means for Bitcoin at this point in Bitcoin cycle. Before, we just concluded the Fed's first FOMC meeting of the year. We're going to talk about the FOMC, but there is a lot to get to, including what's going on with the Treasury, the economy, and of course, what's going on with Bitcoin. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. That means there's no confusion when you go there. They allow you to deposit and withdraw via Lightning Network. They have a zero-fee recurring purchase order feature. And what we love the most about River is not only do they encourage you to get self-custody, but they're there to help educate you on self-custody and everything there is to know about Bitcoin. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL. Let's start with a question from a viewer. Mark asks us why T-bill issuance is forcing the Fed to stop QT early. So there are a lot of things to unpack here. Let's first note that today the Fed made no announcements whatsoever on its balance sheet. So the Fed is not being bullied around by the Treasury just yet. But we made this claim that the Fed and the Treasury are starting to conflict on policy, and we want to unpack that and explain to you guys why that is the case. So let us start with this first chart, the basics of T-bills as a percentage of the overall treasury debt load. In orange, you have $34 trillion of total treasury debt, and this purple line is a percentage of that $34 trillion that is being issued and is outstanding in treasury bills. So what, that's, what this means is that currently 16% of the $34 trillion are being issued in terms of the short end of the curve, non-coupon issuance. Coupons include everything from two-year to 30-year treasury issuance. So we have about $5 trillion in treasury bills out of the 34 trillion. So what is the expectation from the market? The expectation from the market is that this number will fall between 15 and 20%. It means that every time we strike this number, what we are looking for is how much debt is being issued in money markets relative to the rest of the curve. So that is the first thing to keep in your mind right here as we talk about how the Fed and the Treasury are interacting with each other. Now, the next part of this story, we have to take it back and talk about the beginning of QE. QE was a way for the Fed to ease monetary policy once its rates had already fallen to zero. So what what we got with QE was the Fed purchasing Treasury securities. Now, what happens when the Fed purchased Treasury securities as the Treasury is issuing those securities? It becomes a de facto monetization of the debt. And what the Fed is doing is it's creeping into fiscal policy by basically allowing the Treasury 
to borrow and spend money that it might not have had access to before. So in this way, QE allows the Fed to participate in fiscal policy. Now it's de facto because the Fed doesn't outright purchase treasury securities from the treasury. It does so via open market operations and it does that via the broker-dealer system. So the Fed can say that we are not monetizing the debt, we are not purchasing treasuries from the Treasury Department. But we all know, especially looking back on how QE was enacted, that once the Treasury issued securities, broker-dealers would buy those and those primary dealers would take those Treasury securities right to the Fed in their permanent open market operations and sell those treasuries to the Fed. The Fed would put them on their balance sheet and stock them away. In that way, the Fed was influencing fiscal policy because it was letting the treasury issue securities that it might not have been able to issue. Now, fast forward to today, and what we are seeing with QT is that the Fed is trying to let those treasury securities mature from its balance sheet. But because the Fed's balance sheet is so high, what is that allowing? It is allowing the Treasury to now impact monetary policy with this lever of bill issuance. And let me explain how that works. So you have in your mind this backdrop of about 15 to 20% of the total Treasury debt being in terms of bills. Okay, let's get to this next chart here. There are a lot of lines and I want to walk through each one of them to explain to you what we are looking at. So the first one is on top. This is the maroon line. This is the total number of treasury bills. So that's this number that we're using to divide with the 34 trillion in total treasuries outstanding. So this is about five and two thirds trillion right here of total treasuries. Now, the next line that I want you guys to look at is the black line. Okay, the black line is the balance of the reverse repo facility. Now, the reverse repo facility, we like to provide the metaphor as a parking spot for cash. It is an overnight facility that allows people to invest, these investors, these money market funds to come in and invest and get the Fed rate. So it's basically a floor on policy rates. Now, how is the Treasury influencing monetary policy? Well, what it has done is look at how the maroon line starts to march up and the black line starts to march down. What is happening there is not necessarily a one-for-one -one trade, but think of it as the higher the supply of Treasury bills go, the higher the rate offered in the market of bills versus reverse repo. So as more bills hit the market, the treasury bill rates will increase because of increased supply, and that will allow a spread uh, for investors to pick up extra yield by buying treasuries and depleting reserve repo balances. Now, what has happened? We see that reverse repo has declined from above $2 trillion to about two-thirds of $1 trillion now and marching steadily lower. 
So when the reverse repo balance declines, that is money coming out of reverse repo and going into treasury bills. So as the treasury decides to ramp treasury bill issuance, it is having an effect on the reverse repo facility. So the Fed is basically having its reverse repo facility altered by Treasury's fiscal policy. And in that way, we start to see the Treasury having influence over what the Fed is doing. Now, back to Mark's original question, how is the Treasury issuance of bills stopping QT? It's not. What we learned is that the Fed is not going to make any adjustments to their balance sheet right now. And that means that the Treasury and what it's doing through the bill market, while we do see the impact on the Fed's balance sheet, it hasn't actually bullied the Fed into doing anything. It hasn't muscled the Fed into saying that we are going to stop QT early. It says that we are going to discuss QT much more at the March meeting, as well as what we feel the appropriate numbers will be for the Fed's reverse repo facility and what we think the minimum will be there, what we think we should do when that level is reached. So it is clear that the Fed has it on their mind, but that the Fed hasn't actually started talking about the mechanics of this RRP facility declining to near zero. And so that's important. We, we stand corrected in that the Treasury is bullying the Fed. What we'll say now is that the Treasury is now having an influence on monetary policy, but that the Fed's reaction function right now, it's not immediate. It's not looking at this and saying we have to make a change right away. Now, there are a couple more things I want to point out on this graph. We have a new line here. It's in purple. What we've done is we've taken the reserve balance of the Fed, which the higher the reserves go, the more stimulative that is to liquidity. And we've taken that less the RRP balance and less the TGA balance. It means that as the Treasury general account declines, that should be stimulative. As the reverse repo facility declines, that should be stimulative to liquidity as that money is leaving the treasury. So in the treasury's case, when it leaves the TGA, it's being spent into the economy. That's a stimulative measure. When RRP declines, it means that that money is leaving and buying bills, which remember the bill money then comes back and is spent into the economy as the treasury spends its short-term cash on on expenses at the government level. And so reserves minus TGA minus RRP gives us this purple line. And now come back to, is the treasury having an influence on monetary policy? Well, if it's driving RRP down and it's driving TGA down as it spends money, that is stimulative to liquidity. And that's why this purple line has increased. So even though the Fed is trying to do QT, its balance sheet has not had the its balance sheet runoff has not had the same impact that it thought it would. And that comes back back to if we think about the quantity of bills that are being issued relative to the rest of treasuries, if that number is high, 
it means that the relative number of coupons hitting the market compared to bills will be lower and thus lower the duration impact of the market. And that's the exact opposite of what the Fed is trying to do with QT. It's trying to introduce more duration risk to the market by saying, hey, we are going to purchase less of the long-term treasuries that are being issued, and we're going to stuff those into the market. Remember, we always talk about the crowding out effect. So the Fed is less able to conduct the crowding out effect that it wants to do via QT. So that's what is going on with the Treasury. Now, the Fed has also announced recently that it wants reserves to be somewhere around the 10 to 11% number of GDP. So with GDP at around 27 to 30 trillion, somewhere in that range, what we're talking about is a reserve balance somewhere around $3 trillion. But what I found really interesting was the way that Waller phrased this. Now, Waller, Governor Chris Waller of the Fed says, we'll start slowing as we approach maybe reserves being 10 to 11% of GDP, and then we'll kind of feel our way around to see where we should stop. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound that the Fed is just going to totally wing it when it gets to about $3 trillion in reserves, and then they'll see how they want to approach. That's pretty consistent with what we heard from Powell today, which is that they didn't really discuss the balance sheet. And what he means by didn't really, it means we discussed the balance sheet, but we all understood that we're not ready to have a full conversation. So let's kick the full conversation to March. Now, judging on what happened this morning in rates, as a reaction function to what happened with the New York Community Bank and troubles there, we saw the share price absolutely plummeting. What that means is that in the financial plumbing sense, we might be heading into more trouble in February, in March, but that the Fed was not ahead of the game. If the Fed says something in March because of what's happened in February, it means that they weren't fully prepared. And this is something that we find consistent with how the Fed has reacted. Now, we want to give the Fed credit where credit's due in that Powell is a very strong communicator. When I was watching the press conference, and every time I watch Powell in the press conference, I'm always impressed by the way that he understands the problems that the Fed is facing and the job that they're trying to do, which is target employment and price stability, but also not shake the market around by going to different extremes. So let's give Powell the credit where credit's due in that he is being a strong communicator. But because the Fed is slow moving, they are unable to explicitly forecast problems with reserve scarcity, problems in the repo market, right? They completely missed what was happening in September 2019. And because of this, if there's something that might go wrong in plumbing, repo or otherwise, they will be late to address the issue. And this is evidenced by what we saw today. They are not planning anything on the balance sheet right now, and they will start talking 
about the major considerations in March, that basically means that the change itself probably isn't coming in March. Now, I want to show you guys where are Fed reserves as a percentage of GDP. So we've taken GDP from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and we've taken reserves, of course, from the Fed's balance sheet. We see them at about 12%. Okay, so there's still a decline here in reserves that needs to be seen for the Fed to think that they're at the level. But again, this is a theoretical level that they've stated. And we know that that might not jive with reality. So we will be watching these things closely. Okay, now let's add in another major event from the week, the Treasury's quarterly refunding. Now, you guys know if you're a subscriber to our research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe that we track this quarterly refunding announcement because we know that the size of the Treasury supply that hits the market matters. It especially matters when the Fed is not purchasing treasury securities at the same pace that it has been, right? We know the Fed does replenish some securities, but for the most part, it's letting its treasuries mature. And so we are watching what the treasury is doing to see how that might impact what the Fed is doing. And that goes back to, again, the earlier question from our viewer, which is how is treasury bill if issuance causing the end of QT? And this tweet here from Andy Constant, who you guys know, a regular guest on this show, this tweet here shows us why the Fed was able to say, we're not going to do any changes to QT anytime soon. And it has to do with the negative $317 billion in expected bill issuance. That means $317 billion in bills maturing on a net basis no new bills to the market, what will that do to RRP? It should, in theory, slow the decline. Because if we talked about larger bill supply, making bills more attractive because the yield will go up to attract buyers, less bills should lower the rate on bills and make RRP once again relatively attractive to bills, and it should slow the decline of the RRP balance. Now, how do we get to negative 317 in bills, well, it does take some assumptions, right? We it, it does, of course, depend on tax revenues and the deficit spending. But the projections for April, May, and June are that we will have $581 billion in total coupons maturing. We have $1.1 trillion in gross issuance. That leaves 519 coupons to be issued, but the Treasury says that they'll only need $200 billion from the funding market in Q2. So if they only need $200 billion, but they're going to be issuing $500 billion, it means that they need $300 billion less during that quarter, and the lever is bills. So if the lever is bills, it means less bills being issued, less impact on RRP, less urgency for the Fed to stop QT or to slow QT. So a lot of moving parts, and we want your questions. Keep the questions coming. Go subscribe to our free research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. And of course, you guys know that we do put out paid research for during the week. 
it does help support our operations. So if you guys are interested in some of the more nitty gritty numbers on a more frequent basis, make sure to go become a paid subscriber today. Okay, so what did the Fed do today? The Fed did not cut rates and Jerome Powell went out in the press conference and despite the statement basically saying that the next move is lower, Powell came out and said, we are not going to cut in March. That is our base case right now. And it really tried to talk back the market. We saw the market spike in terms of an expectation of a potential March rate cut in the morning that completely faded during the day. And even though rates finished lower across the curve, the Fed wanted to make sure that March rate cut was not the base case expectation of the market. Now we have for several months said that the rate cuts are coming, but that we don't really expect them to necessarily come before June. We're staying there. We believe the market's pricing around May and June, which has around one to three rate cuts priced in in the middle of the year. We believe that that is a fair assumption right now, and that is what we're gonna continue to go with. Now, I wanna show you guys a chart that we use to monitor the economy across sectors. So this is a recession pressure dashboard that we have provided to us with uh, from our great tool and our friends at Macrobond. Now, in this chart, what you see are different segments of the economy, inflation, the labor market, economic growth, credit, leading indicators, and the financial markets. And it's looking at each one of these factors and saying, how does this contribute to recession pressure? So the more green the numbers, the less pressure, and the more red the numbers, the more pressure. And what we see is that the colors are varied, right? Across the board, we have in the labor market, a lot of green indicators, okay? And then in the leading indicator section, so new order specifically, small business optimism, that's the NFIB optimism index, that they are very red, meaning that they are providing recessionary pressures. So I want you guys to look at these numbers across the board to see that it's not just clear cut on the economy. There is a big variation across sectors of the economy, some strength, some weakness. And so for all of these reasons, there's no pressure on the Fed to cut right now. And the Fed is expecting that it will have to lower the policy on declining inflation, right? You see on the top line that inflation was showing that we were not in recession and all of a sudden the line, the color there is starting to become neutral. So the Fed is starting to see that slow down in inflation and it does believe that it'll contribute to the need to cut rates at some point this year, just not yet. This next chart is one of the labor indicators that we're watching for that isn't so great. Transportation and warehouse payrolls starting to roll over a little bit. So this only happens in recessions. So when warehouse workers get fired, we saw UPS layoffs yesterday. These are things that are worrying, but they haven't contributed yet to the headline statistics. Another indicator we're looking at in the labor market that is not showing a great sign is the quits rate. So think of 
the labor market. If you are going to quit your job, it means you're confident you can get another one. So with quits declining, it means less confident workers in the job seeking market. So we're looking at the decline in quits as being quite sharp and quite notable here. So look at quits. We will continue to uh, monitor this. This number came out this week along with the JOLTS survey. Job openings ticked up, so a good sign for the labor market. But again, the quits rate, which was one of the internals that we watch, look at the declines in the past recessions. Okay, When quits fall off of a cliff, it means that job seekers are worried they might not get another one. Now, the last economic chart I want to show you guys is financial conditions. This is, again, an index of spreads, volatility, and repo. And what it's saying is that financial conditions are easy. The line going down here is easier financial conditions. This line spikes when there's credit stress, wide credit spreads, higher implied volatility, higher hedging costs, uh, more expensive repo. And all of this is not anywhere in the market. So very easy financial conditions right now. And thus the reason that stocks have done so well of late. Now, I promised you guys I would finish with Bitcoin. And I really want to bring it back home. Why do we call our company the Bitcoin layer? It's not some cool phrase we tried to come up with that has the word Bitcoin in it. The reason we are called the Bitcoin layer is that money has evolved in a hierarchical way. And that means that all money is some form of banking liability in the current dollar system. It means that you might have a Fed liability, a treasury liability, or a commercial banking liability, or even the liability of a shadow bank, a non-bank. And in all of these instruments, they fall into a rank. And that rank is based off of who the issuer is, which financial institution. Bitcoin exists outside of the dollar's layered money system. So it is its own first layer money. There is no liability structure when you own physical Bitcoin. And because of this, you are free from this boom-bust cycle that we continue to see play out in the dollar system. So I have on the chart here trailing 12-month returns just to show you Bitcoin up about 88% over the last 12 months. How does that compare against the S&P 500? Up 22%. So Bitcoin outperforming the S&P by about 4x over the last 12 months. People are buying stocks to also get some form of property. Bitcoin is the superior form if we look at pretty much every single trailing time horizon. But the reason that you want to own property and specifically a non-dollar liability and a non-layered dollar, but a different form of money, the reason that we want to do this is because when the treasury deficit meets the Fed's balance sheet in a way that requires the Fed to do quantitative easing, each time that happens, it bolsters the investment case for Bitcoin and the understanding that Bitcoin does not have an issuer. And because it doesn't have an issuer, it can remain scarce. 
And that is a dynamic that completely escapes the dollar system. It doesn't completely escape equities, and that is why equities have performed so well since 2009, because they are a form of property. They are a claim on future cash flows, and equity shares cannot be created by the Fed. They can be created by each company, but they cannot be created by the banking system. So the weakness in the banking system, the problems today with New York Community Bank, the problems last year in the regional banking system, and the problems that the Fed potentially sees on the horizon, they all contribute to the assurance that balance sheet expansion is the guaranteed result no matter what happens in today's financial system because of the boom and bust cycle. With the bust, you will get the monetary and fiscal stimulus. And with that stimulus, you will get the renewed loss of confidence in the dollar as a unit that can maintain a store of value over any long-term time horizon. Thanks for sticking with us today at the Bitcoin layer. We appreciate you guys subscribing to the channel and subscribing to our free research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe, and we'll catch you next time. The Bitcoin Layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, the reason that we love River is that they are a Bitcoin-only exchange. There's no confusion when you go there on what you're buying. But really importantly about River is that they do not use a third-party custodian. They have their own multi-signature solution. That means that when you buy Bitcoin on River, that Bitcoin is not being stored by another party. River is storing it in their own multi-signature way, and they encourage you to get your Bitcoin into your own self-custody and help with educational resources on that front. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL.